listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 11. If you're our guest, welcome. We have been working our way through this gospel for the last couple months. Find ourselves at the end of chapter 11. Um, if you are a graduate, a recent graduate, uh, congratulations. I was thinking about that this week. Uh, many of you finishing a course in your life. If you're a pre-K graduate, I don't count that. I don't count, all right? <laughs> we'll wait a few years, see how you do. But uh, congratulations to those of you who have moved forward. But in thinking about that, I was thinking, what's the best grade? I mean, going back, what's the best grade to be in? And, and the answer is, is very simple. It's kindergarten. Kindergarten is the best. Because not only do you get snack time and recess, you get the best thing about kindergarten, which is nap time. Amen. And I'm back, I don't know how they do it now, but back in the day, we had these carpet squares from the 60s. Now, some of y'all parents are so weak, so I was like, my kid can't sleep on that. There's germs. You need to get over yourself with that, right? Okay. But they bring out these old carpet squares. And for me, nap time, it was miserable because my ADD self... I just stared at the clock for 30 minutes. It felt like an eternity waiting for nap time to be over. But looking back now, I mean, wouldn't it be a dream if your boss did, was like, all right, everyone, we're implementing a new policy. It's called nap time. And we would, everyone brings out their carpet squares and just lays them out. The lights go down. You're like, this is the best job ever, <laughs> right? There's something about that rest. And, and every season of life, you're always looking back to the previous season thinking, man, that was so good. So you get in the middle in high school and you're like, man, I got practice and I got you know, youth group and I got tests and I got homework. You're like, man, kindergarten was so great. Remember that recess, snack time and, and nap time? That was awesome. And then you, you, you go off to, to college and you got tests and labs and social life and games and all these things. And you're looking back and you're like, man, high school was so easy. I'm just so tired, right? High school was so easy. All you had was practice and a couple tests. That was it, right? I wish I could go back there. And you graduate college, you get a job, you're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you're married, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm beat. I am worn out. I mean, remember when we were just in college, all we had to do was go to lab, and my, our first class was at like four in the afternoon, we had that schedule. I thought it was so easy, man. I'm just so tired, I need rest, right? And then you have kids, and you're like, up all night feeding, changing diapers, stepping on Legos as you walk through the hall, and you're like... Man, honey, remember when it was just me and you and we just had to work? And you know, we'd go to a movie when we wanted, we'd go out to eat when we wanted. That was, oh, that was, I'm just tired, I want that. And then the kids start growing a little bit, but they don't drive yet, so you gotta take them everywhere. You get off work and you are shuttling them to T-ball and the youth group and to this and to that. And from morning till night, you're just driving or working and you're like, honey, remember when the kids were young and all we had to do is change diapers and give them goldfish? That was so easy. I'm so tired. And then they get into high school and they start driving and go to college. You're waiting for them to get home on a Friday night and they're coming to you every time they speak to you like that, I need a new fill in the blank. And you're like, how am I gonna pay for college? And I'm gonna pay for car insurance and they need new sneakers. And you're like, man, wasn't it so easy when we're just taking the t-ball and youth group? I wish you were there. And we spend our lives just after this elusive what? This rest that always seems to be the previous thing. Right? And it's not just true in the physical realm, it's true in the spiritual realm. And what we're gonna see in our text this morning is Jesus is gonna offer the very thing that our souls crave, rest. Not from stepping on Legos and T-ball, for your soul. 
Because here's the thing about it. When your soul has rest, then, then you can find rest elsewhere. But if your soul doesn't find rest, you'll never be restful anywhere else. And so how do we have rest? Where do we go? What does that look like for us? That's what we're gonna talk about today as we open Matthew chapter 11. And we're gonna see Jesus make an incredible offer, an incredible claim, rest for your soul. As we look at Matthew 11, just five verses, 25 to 30. And before we get to the offer, we're gonna spend the lion's share of our time in the offer. But before Jesus gets to this offer, this famous passage that many of us have heard before, he's gonna lay out two conditions. First, you have, yeah, there's the offer that's here. But before you get to the offer, there's two conditions. And so what we're gonna work through is we'll see those conditions and then we'll see the offer of rest and how we can have it. So let me read our text in its entirety and then we'll jump in and unpack it a little bit deeper. Verse 25, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so if you remember where we were last week Jesus had just condemned several cities because they had seen all the mighty works of God right in their midst and they still wouldn't believe They still would reject and they still wanted more and they still didn't trust who he was and what he is doing. And so he declares here, it says, verse 26, at that time, Jesus declared, he's out loud praying to his father. And this is not like, hey guys, hold on, I gotta go pray for a minute. And he goes off in the corner and prays. No, he prays out loud so that everyone here, he wants everyone to hear. And he says this, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, the sovereign God. You are sovereign. You are in control. You are overall. I thank you that you've hidden these things. And we have to ask, what's these things? The message of the kingdom, who he is, what he has done. I thank you that you've hidden all this from the wise and understanding and revealed it to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. Doesn't seem very gracious. I mean, isn't that a weird thing to pray out loud and thank God for so that everyone hears? I thank you, God, that you have hidden the truth from this group of people over here and you've revealed it to this group of people over there. That's strange. And I know this is where kind of, if you're, some of you are kind of theologians and, and a little bit theology nuts, you're like, aha, we're gonna talk Calvinism, we're gonna talk Arminianism, we're gonna get into it. Let's go, Fowler, let's go. And all the Calvinists are like, see, love it. God has hidden and kept blind those who do this. Yes, love it. But you gotta remember, right after God says he opens the eyes of some and closes the eyes of others, he says, hey, everybody, come, right? So on one hand, the Calvinists are like, yes. And then they get to verse 28 and, and, and all the Arminians are like, yes, come all, all, circle all, right? So how can you have both of these truths that God blinds some and opens eyes to others in one sense. And then at the same next, very next verse, you have everyone come to me. How can you have it? How can you have these both? Where's the tension? And the answer is yes. That's your answer, right? That is your answer. And there's, you just have to understand, all right? There's some things 
that we as the people of God who are broken and, and on this side of, of heaven, you're just not gonna grasp it all, right? But you can take God at his word. I know that there is one God, yes. I know that there is three distinct persons, each person fully God, yet there is one God, yes. How does that make sense? Yes. But I believe them because the scripture says them, which is part of the issue here. And, and you're never gonna grasp all these things. Unless you pull out your license and it says God, then you're not gonna grasp some of these things. But that's okay, because we can come in faith. Don't miss the point of what Jesus is saying. Who are the ones that are blind? I thank you that you've hidden these things from who? From the wise, from the understanding. Now understand, Jesus is, this is a little bit of a sanctified sarcasm here. He's not down on being smart. He's not down on getting your masters or being intelligent, right? Some of the most, some of the saints of the, the, of the scripture are great, intelligent people. Paul, sharp. Moses, trained, sharp. It's not those who are intelligent, like I got 1,300 on my boards, which is probably not even close to what I got on my boards. Uh, but it's those who are smart, what, in their own eyes. Those who think that they're all that in a bag of chips, it's the kindergartner that says, I don't need a nap. I don't need a nap. He says, it's those people who are self-sufficient. I'll get rest on my own. I don't need this. I don't need that. I'm okay. He says, okay, you're okay then. Then, then you don't need what I have, so you're blind. On the flip side, who are the ones who get to see? It's those who have childlike faith for children. And the idea is childlike faith. It's the little two-year-old that looks up his mom and, is, and just has arms out and just wants mom to carry. And they're not worried if mom's gonna drop. They're just, they're there the ones who recognize their need, who see that they are helpless. Those are the ones who get to see, not the self-sufficient. The self-sufficient, I have all I need. I don't need anything. I don't, I don't need to do anything. I'm, I'm fine. I'm good, right? Those are the ones who are blind. Those who come and say, hey, I have need. Because the bottom line is this, whether you admit it or not, you are created for dependence. Dependence on God, dependence on one another. You need to be taught, encouraged, warned, strengthened, healed, loved, restored, forgiven. All things that you cannot do on your own. And self-sufficiency is thus a lie. If you're a pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you are blind. You're blind, right? And, and here's, here's the first condition that Jesus says. And it's, it's not new. We've seen this throughout the Gospel of Matthew. It's humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. First thing he says in the Sermon on the Mount, those who recognize their need, those are the ones who are blessed. Jesus says, I came not for the healthy, I came for who? The sick. Not for those who say, I don't need anything. For those who say, I need something desperately. Desperately. And, he, and here's where we're at here. Before we get any further to this idea of rest, where are you at? In this room, if you came and you're like, I don't wanna be here, Mom made me come. My spouse made me come. I don't need this. Christianity, it's a crutch. I'm good. I'm a good person. I got a good job. I got, if that's you, Jesus says, you're blind. You're blind. And it's almost with a, with a tear in his eye, he would say, fine, that I have nothing to offer you. If you think you're good, then I have nothing for you, Right? And so I would encourage you, check your heart there, right? If you're like, oh, I'll do this when I'm later. I'm 16, I just graduated college, I'm fine, I don't need anything. When I get old, when I get old, when I get old, I'll deal with it then. No, 
It's a lie. Self-sufficiency is a lie, right? The people of God, the church is not a group of people who have it all together. We are together because we do not. That is the point. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So the first condition is humility. But the second one, look at it. Verse 27. Jesus makes this amazing claim. All things have been handed over to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father. No one knows the father except the son. And to anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Summarize, you don't get to know God, Jesus says, unless I reveal him to you. This is an unbelievable, exclusive claim that if you wanna know God the father, you have to know the son. And you only know the son if he allows you. That is an exclusive claim. Not popular idea, but it's the same thing that Peter and all the apostles say, that there is no other name under heaven by which men are saved. You want to get to the Father? Then you go through the Son. And it answers the question for us that goes back to why did Jesus have to become a man in the first place? Because the only way you could know God is if he reveals it. And how does he reveal it? By becoming man, by becoming one of us so that God may be fully known. And what you have to understand is this is a claim of authority and power. And that's the second condition. You got to recognize Jesus' authority. You got to recognize his power because his offer, if, if, if his offer means nothing, if he doesn't have the authority and the power behind it. And if you don't come needy and recognize that, so, so why should you come? Why should you come? right? I'm fine. And, and even if I, I'm not fine, why should I come to you? I mean, I could run to a bunch of other things. Why should I come to you? If he doesn't have the authority and if you're not humble enough to receive it, then this offer of rest means nothing. So these are the conditions of his offer. You got to start with humility and recognizing his authority. And I would just challenge you. Are you there? Where are you at? Right? And if you're like, I don't know, well, just give me a hearing at least. This morning to recognize, hey, you are needy, whether you see it or not. And he is the authority, whether you believe it or not. And that's how he opens up this, this offer, right? This offer to rest, this solution to our uh, seeking the elusive rest that we all want. And, and he's going to use three verbs. And this is where we're going to zoom in. These are our three points, right? Here's where he goes. This is where rest is found. Three verbs you're going to find in the text. Come, take, and learn. That's where we're going, Right? These are the imperatives that he's going to use or interjections he's going to use. Come, take, and learn. These are the key to rest. So he starts in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can translate it. Come now. Come here. Come. Do it today. If you are laboring, and it's a present participle. So it's, if you're constantly just working your fingers to the bone. If you're tired, if you are exhausted, if you are stressed out, if you are at the end of your rope, come. If you're heavy laden, and this is a passive participle, and the idea is there's been a burden, a weight that has been laid on you, and you are constantly carrying it, and you are tired, and you are weary because this thing is on your back, he says, come. If the problems of your life, of the day, are like, are like claws in your brain, come. If you feel pummeled by life, if you feel like I cannot do this anymore on my own, come. If you have guilt and shame of all these failures, Come. It's an invitation to all. And again, for the audience that's hearing this, they got all sorts of burdens. They got physical burdens. They got Rome. They got taxes. 
They got their, they're oppressed. That's the physical side. The spiritual side is they have Pharisees who are beating them down with laws and rules. It's hard enough that the Mosaic law is impossible to keep, right? That's hard enough. But now you got Pharisees just making laws upon laws upon laws upon laws. This is how you please God. This is how you do this. This is what Jesus tells the Pharisees in, in Matthew 23. He says, the scribes and Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat and so do and observe whatever they tell you. But the works, they don't do the works. They preach, but they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on the people's shoulders. You've been burdened with these, these Pharisees that say, do this, don't do that. This is how you please God. This is how you get them off your back. This is how God makes, you make God happy and all these rules and laws. And it creeps its way into here and, and the early church struggles with this. In Acts 15, the gospel is going to the Gentiles. All these Gentiles are getting saved and all the Jewish believers in Jerusalem are like, oh, whoa, whoa. Wait a, wait a, wait a, wait a minute. We got, we got to make sure they're circumcised. We got to make sure they keep the law. And, and the, the apostles are like, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke, same language here, on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers could keep, well, that you couldn't keep? Why are you putting more rules on you couldn't keep them? We did this in the church now. All right, you can come. But here, you got five things you got to do and five, five expectations and all that. We, we get rules upon rules. This is what it really looks like. This is what it really looks like. And Jesus is saying, you got shame, you got guilt, you failed, your first marriage failed, you were a horrible parent, you, got, you have a bankruptcy, you, have, you did this in your past. Is that burdening you? Are you trying to make up for this with this life? Come. Come. You trying to carry on alone, just suck it up? pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but you're tired, come. You got expectations that you've made on yourself that other people have on you, he says, come, come. Aren't you, aren't you tired? Don't you need a, a spiritual rest? Aren't you tired of trying to impress and, and please God and make him happy and maybe he'll be? He says, come. And notice the language. It's not just come, it's come to me. Notice the personal pronouns you're gonna see throughout this text. Come to me, not come to church, not come to a new set of rules, not come to all these things, a self-help. Come to a person, to the Lord Jesus, right? That's who he says come to. Rest, when you come in humility and recognize authority, it's not found in stuff, it is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's where you come. And here's, here's the interesting thing. If you can imagine, there's hundreds, maybe thousands of people listening to the Lord Jesus at this point. What were they thinking when he says this? Come to me, all who are tired, weary. I'll give you rest. They got, they got some of them be thinking, what, are you kidding me? Who are you? You're like 32-year-old blue-collar dude. Yeah, you've done some cool stuff, but Really? I mean, they got Rome, they got bills, they got all these things. And Jesus is saying, come, I'll, I'll take those burdens. I'll take the burden of your sin, right? I mean, who can make this kind of a statement? I mean, for us, I mean, you, there's, you have a limited capacity and ability, but you have some capacity to carry burdens, right? My kids come to me and say, dad, I need help with my homework. I'm like, all right. If it's eighth grade math or above, I'm out. <laughs> but I can teach you to kick a ball. But I mean, you know, pre-cal, pre-algebra, pre-something. If there's a pre in front of it, I ain't got nothing unless it's pre-K. I can help there. <laughs> but pre-anything, 
AP this, I'm out, right? Or you, maybe you have a friend that has a need and you can come alongside, you can pray, you can meet that need. Yeah, we have a limited capacity, but how silly if I stood up here in front of six, 700 of y'all and said, if you have struggles, come to me. You have burdens, I'll give you rest. That, that is ludicrous for me to say that and for you to believe that I can do that. But Jesus says it because he can deliver. In fact, he's the only one who could. This is one of the many reasons that I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Because for him to say this and not be able to do it, he would be wacko. He would be cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And you'd be crazy to believe him unless he is who he says he is. The only person in the world that can deliver on the promise. And we have people promising it, right? We always, you're getting invited to stuff all the time. Come use our product. We'll make you skinny. We'll make you pretty. Come to our school. We'll make you special. We'll make you elite. Come to our vacation place. We'll give you peace and tranquility. Right? Come, come be part of our group. We'll give you significance. Come, come do, buy this, get this, seek this. You'll be content. Come do this with us. You'll have pleasure. And Jesus kind of spreads these things all out of the way and says, that's not what your soul needs. Come to me. I can give you rest. I alone can give you rest. It is what you were created for as people made in the image of God to know God. This is why Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that God has written eternity in our, in our hearts. There's a craving and a longing for significance and to belong and to be loved that, that's unique to the Imago Dei, that's unique to humans. The animals, they're not striving for, for, uh, to be accepted and to be loved. They just, the squirrels, they're not like, oh, please like me. No, they just want to get an acorn. That's all they want. The hummingbirds are just like, oh, these people are feeding me. Great. And they go and get your hummingbird feeder. They're not thinking, I hope they like me. I hope they, I hope they think well of me. Right? This is why we as humans, we recognize the transcendent beauty. We went out and we looked at the blood moon and it was like, cool, isn't that awesome? I mean, the deer weren't walking around like, wow, the blood moon, this is really cool. That's beautiful, isn't it, honey? No, because we're made in God's image. We're designed to see that and we long for that and we understand there's something greater. This is why we're enamored with things like so when someone is really good, a great athlete, you're like, wow. There's this excellence and, and that, we're, that we're drawn to. Why? Because there's something in us. Eternity is written in our heart. We crave a fame and glory sometimes in a, in a wrong way. Why? Because God has written eternity in our hearts. And we had this significance. We had this in the garden. And then Adam and Eve, they messed it all up. And now sin has crept in and we lost the connection with the eternal satisfier of our soul. And so what we do is we spend the rest of our life trying to find it in stuff. Temporal stuff that will not satisfy, that has no ability to bring rest. And when, it, when we try, when we go to drugs or food or activities or relationships or Amazon therapy or getting a bigger car or a bigger house or a vacation or whatever, when we look for it then and it doesn't end up satisfying, it just brings more weariness, just more tiredness, Right? And so Jesus says, hey, I as the eternal God can give you rest. If you turn your back on these things and you will rest in me. 
Cease striving, the psalmist says. Be still and know that I am God. I can bring rest. That's where we find our acceptance that we, that we long for, not because we've done anything, but because he is good. That is where we get a new identity, identity, the child of God, the sons and daughters of God. That is where we get significance, that Christ died for us, that we are made in his image. That is where we find approval, again, not because we've done anything, but because he has in Christ. If you want rest, gotta see your need, come to him in his authority and find it in the person of Jesus Christ. So the question is then, what does that look like? I mean, that's great. That's kind of spiritual language, right? What does that mean? How do I do that? I believe you, Bill. I'm in. What do I need to do? You know, go to start here, join a church, read my Bible more, try to stop sinning. What, what, what do I do? Well, it can't be any of those things because the lost world is not doing those and you, a lot of you are, and you're still weary. So it's, that's, that's not the solution. Those are good things. What does Jesus say? He gives us two more verbs. Look at verse 28 and 29. Come to me all who are labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Second word, take. Now what's this all about, right? What's taking my yoke? It's very cultural. I mean, some of us, we hear yoke and we're like, yeah, I like mine over easy. I'm scrambled. Or some of you are like, yeah, man, let's go to the gym today. We're going to get yoked. Woo, yeah, right? That's not what he's talking about. This is an agrarian society. They get the image. The yoke is a tool of a farmer, right? Where you put oxen in a yoke and it's hooked to a plow. And these oxen, because they're yoked, now pull the plow. And so what Jesus is saying is something they get. And here's a kind of a picture of an ancient yoke. You put one head in one, one head in the other. And, and, and you put your head in the yoke. And here's kind of reading about this this week, some fascinating things. Okay, uh, historians teach that if you were getting a yoke made by the local carpenter, who, by the way, Jesus probably made numerous yokes in his 30 years in his father's shop. In fact, one, uh, there's a legend that Jesus made the best yokes in Galilee. I have no clue who made that up. Probably a Baptist preacher. I have no clue, but okay, he probably did make pretty good yokes, all right? I, I, he was the Lord, right? So, but whether he made the best yokes in Galilee, I don't know. All right, but he knows what a yoke is, and so do they. And history teaches us that when you wanted a yoke made, you would bring your ox in to get measured, right? So that it, so it fit well. And there might even be a second measurement after they made it, because you know the ox needs to be comfortable; it needs to fit so they can be effective. It's not like buying a you don't go and buy a suit off the rack. This is a medium; I'll buy that because it's not going to fit. What do you do? You go get sized. All right, we're going to hem, we're going we're to lower the sleeves a little bit. And so Jesus would have done this and they would have got this, right? That there's a yoke that fits and it goes of the oxen. Here's the other th- idea that's kind of a little bit more subtle that they would have got that we don't. In those days when a, a rabbi would take on a pupil, right? And remember the rabbis then, they didn't go looking for their pupils like Jesus did, which was completely opposite. The, the pupil would say, I want to go stunder, study under that rabbi. And so you would approach that rabbi and say, hey, can I be your disciple? And if he approved, then it was said in those days that you were yoked to your rabbi, that he was your rabbi and you were going to be yoked alongside. And that is the imagery here. Take my yoke. Because I think we have the image here, okay, I gotta get in the yoke and Jesus is kind of behind in the plow and he's saying, go forward, woo And he's got his whip and he's like, Whew. 
That is not the image. The image is you get into the yoke and you put your head in and you look to the right and who is there? The Lord Jesus, because you're yoked to him. And interesting, as I'm kind of reading about farming, which I'm not gonna be one, but it's very interesting, is that when you have oxen often in that day, what you would do to train the young ox is you would put a a mature, strong, older ox in one side and you put the rookie in the other. And the the mature ox would do all the heavy lifting and and the newbie would learn and learn how to do this from the mature. And that is the image where we, we're the rookie, we're the new one and we put our head in and you have the Lord Jesus who does all the heavy lifting who's the one who leads us who guides us and says I got this your job is just to put your head in the yoke and his job is to carry the burden which is why in verse 30 he says he says my yoke is easy it fits you it's been fitted to you. It's gonna be as comfortable as I can make it for you. And my burden, it's not heavy, it's light. Why? Because I am the heavy here. I do the heavy lifting. You don't have to carry your sin. I got that. You don't have to figure out where you're gonna go. I, I got that. You don't have to worry about, do you have enough strength to do X, Y, and Z? You don't have to worry about finding a spouse and finding this and doing this. I got that. You just stay yoked to me. That is your job. You stick your head in the yoke and stay close to me. That's where rest is. And I think we have a, we have a, well, a myth that rest is, is getting our carpet square out and taking a nap. Yeah, in the physical world, yes. In the spiritual world, that's, rest is not doing nothing. You realize for all eternity, you're not gonna be sitting on a cloud playing your harp, resting on your carpet square in heaven. You're gonna be doing stuff. You're gonna be living and serving. The only difference is because sin is removed, it will be a delight and it'll be a joy. You're gonna be busy. That's rest, right? And, and for us, rest is not I do nothing I get to, or I get to do what I want. Rest is joyfully being yoked to Jesus and joyful submission to him. Why? Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's not asking you to carry the weight of anything. He's got it. It's just staying close, submitting to him. Aren't some of y'all just tired of trying to fit expectations of a world, of a boyfriend, of a spouse, of an employer? You're trying to impress everybody. You put expectations on others that they let you down or there's expectations on you and you're trying to do all these things on your own. Aren't you tired of being yoked to that? Aren't you tired of being yoked to your debt because you feel like you have to impress everybody or keep up with the Joneses? You're gonna be content? Aren't you tired of that addiction that you keep running back to and you feel guilty about it? He says, no, put my yoke on you. Find rest in submission to me. When you're weak, I'm strong. When you're broken, I will heal. When you're exhausted, I will give grace sufficient. Right? That's, that's being yoked to Jesus. You got some guilt, some big decision that you failed. So I got that. Just stop trying to live, try, try to fix that with living better. I paid for that. You got this relationship that's bringing you down. Some of you know it. You're in a relationship. You're yoked. This is why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. That's why you know, a Christian doesn't marry a non-Christian because the unequal yoke, you're, you're going to be tearing each other apart. He says, is there something that's tearing you down? Aren't you tired of just that? Yoke yourself to me, Right? Put on mine. It's easy. It's light. And then here's the third command. Learn 
from me. Learn. Not just learn, general. Learn from me. It's the Greek word that we, we translate as a noun form, disciple, a learner. He says, be a learner from me. Learn from me. Listen to me. I will personally, intimately lead you, comfort you, help you. Just get in. Get in the yoke. And the struggle for us is, for me, at times, and I know for you, yeah, okay, that sounds great, but what, where's he gonna take me? What's gonna happen? If I trust you and put my head in that thing, what's what is that gonna do for my finances? Are you gonna make me move to, to Morocco? Am I gonna marry someone that I despise? Am I gonna have a job I hate? Am I gonna be miserable? And there's this fear that, ah, yeah, but Jesus is gonna make my life miserable. He's gonna be harsh. He's gonna be mean. And y'all, it's a lie that, that some of us have bought since the beginning, that God is not for your best. It's the Genesis 3 lie that Satan's been repackaging. You want joy? Have this. You want happiness? Don't go what God says because he's a, he's a Debbie Downer. He's gonna make your life miserable. Go do your own thing. Go your own way. Do what you want with your, with your money. Do what you want with your body. Do what you want. Do what you want. How is that working for the world? I mean, really. Just look at the stats. Depression, through the roof. Anxiety, through the roof. Suicide, on the rise. Drug abuse, rampant. Alcohol abuse, all over. Young folks, destroying and tearing your soul apart with immorality online and in relationships. It's, it's all over, right? But we're posting happy filtered pictures, so it must be all good. Jesus, aren't you tired of that? And you don't have to fear him. He's not harsh. He's not a, a mean taskmaster. He says, look, I am gentle. I am lowly. This is the only place in the gospels, by the way, where Jesus tells you what he's like. Now, Matthew tells you, and, and Mark tells you, and Luke and John will tell you, but Jesus speaking of himself. If you ask me, Bill, what do you like? Short? ADD? Yeah, that's about it. Average, quiet, introvert. Jesus says, you wanna know who I am? Here's who I am. I am gentle. It's the same word that's used in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the gentle. And I am humble, I am lowly in heart, which is why he says, hey, come in humility, and come under my authority. Come, come with meekness. That's who I am. I am gentle. I am lowly. His point is this. I'm not some harsh taskmaster. This can be like, oh, he wants this. So let's get him, Holy Spirit. Let's get him and go over here. Yeah, that's what he's doing. He says, no, I, I know who you are. He's mindful that we are but dust. I, I, I'm going to be delicate with you. I understand that you've been putting all your eggs in that basket and it's gonna be hard for you to, to trust me, but I, I, I can be trusted, I promise you. I have your best in mind. I am good, right? Just come to me and let me deal, dwell deeply in your heart and follow me and learn from me and surrender to me and I promise you it'll turn out better than you can fathom. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy, all right? You still are in a yoke. There's still a burden. It's just, it's much lighter than the burden of your sin. It's much lighter than having to figure it out on your own and walk through it alone. He says, and we'll, and we'll do this. And every time you struggle, all you have to do is look over and guess who's gonna be there? Me, and I'll be doing the heavy lifting because I give rest, right? 
says, learn. If you're gonna find rest, you gotta be a learner. You gotta be a learner. It comes from knowing and learning and being known by him. H.B. Charles, preacher down in Jacksonville, says this. He says, Jesus is not just the required curriculum, he is the resident scholar. Christianity is a school, Jesus is the prof and the textbook and the subject matter and the master teacher. We learn from him in submission and childlikeness and diligence. It doesn't seem, it doesn't, for some of you are like, how is this gonna be rest? You just gotta take him at his word. Childlike faith. You think that, oh, if I do what I want, I'll have rest. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you won't. You'll only find rest when you're yoked up to me. That's, that's the only way it happens, when you learn from me. And so here's, here's the challenge for you. Are you willing to get in the yoke? To put your head in and say, where you go, I will go. What you, what you call me to do, I will do. Are you willing? He's, that's, that's, what it, that's what it takes. That's what he's asking here. Lay down your life and find it and find joy. And this is why John in his letter to uh, the church at Ephesus, when, he, when he's talking in First John, he says what? This is the love of God, that you keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Because that's what we think. Oh, I gotta do all these things. It's gonna make me miserable. John says, no, 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 it's not miserable. When, you, when you're following him, it's actually a delight. It's a delight. You'll find joy. You'll find You'll find contentment. Why? Because you have him, right? And so I think what we do is we all, we come in here and we're like, we get the burdens of the world and we hear a sermon. This is what I do, right? And we hear a sermon and we put on the yoke for 45 minutes and we admit, man, it kind of feels good. This is freeing. God's grace to me, God's love for me. Yes, I want that. I want to I do that. And that's our heart. And then we leave, and we get into the Hyundai and we're like, yeah, but I got this yoke over here. And we take off the yoke of Jesus and we put back the yoke of whatever it is. And we wonder why we're so weary and tired. And we come back next week, oh, that was awful. Put, let me put the Jesus yoke back on for 45 minutes. And I think the application for us is don't take it off. And when you wake up in the morning, I know it's kind of a metaphor here, but use the metaphor and tell them, tell them, Lord, keep the yoke on me today. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Don't let me wander. And at lunchtime, you look back and say, oh man, I wanna, I wanna stay in this yoke. And at dinner, and before you go to bed, and you do that over and over and over and just be thinking that way, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna be plowing next to Jesus and you're gonna be amazed that he's gonna walk with you and you're gonna have rest. Even in chaos, you're gonna have rest. Even when there's trials, you can consider it all joy because you, because you know that it's producing endurance and doing something. That's, that's what we're calling. He's calling us to. Not easy, but easier than doing it on your own. Come to him. All who are weary and heavy laden, he will give rest. So if you want rest, it starts with humility, recognizing his authority, and coming to him as a person, the second person of the triune God, and then saying, I'm in. And staying in and learning and listening. And you have a savior. This is the amazing thing. This should, this should boggle our minds. The God of the universe says, I, I want to be your private teacher. I want you to learn from me. I want to I be yoked to you. Not because you're great, because he is. 
That's how amazing the Savior is. And if you're here and you're like, yeah, this sounds fine, but I kind of still want to do my own thing, here's what I would encourage you, right? If you're like, oh, I'm 19, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm 22, I kind of want to figure it out on my own. You're kind of seeing a little bit, but you're kind of, it's a little bit fuzzy. Do not put off today coming to Jesus. Because here's what happens when you do. If you harden your heart towards the Spirit, the Spirit of God is drawing you, he's moving in you, he's, he's, he's enlightening, he's opening your eyes, and you say, no, 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 not now, not now, not now, later, 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 later. Let me get to tell you, there may not be a later because God may give you over into your blindness and say, fine, you wanna be blind, go be blind. And there's no promise for tomorrow as it is, but there's certainly no promise that when you're 65 and you finally start getting social security that now I'll be ready to follow Jesus. Because by that time, you're gonna be so wise in your own eyes, you don't need anything. And so that's why this, the writer to Hebrews says, today, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Draw near to him, he will draw near to Come, all, bring your junk, bring your garbage, I got it. I will give you rest. I will give you salvation. I will wipe away your sins. I will, I will take away the burden of your sin. Just like if you read the old Pilgrim's Progress, old, old Pilgrim walks up and as soon as he looks at the cross, what happens? The burden falls off his back and there's joy. That's what he offers. But it comes only through him. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And we're gonna have the privilege of remembering why we have peace and rest this morning. We're gonna celebrate the Lord's table uh, and remember, why do you have rest? Why is this offer even there? It's because the Lamb of God took away the sin of the world, that the perfect Son of God died on a cross for your sins, in your place, and he rose again. Body beaten, pierced, blood spilt so that you could have forgiveness of sins. And so we're gonna celebrate that. If you're a believer, you have that rest, you have the assurance that your sins are forgiven, we invite you to partake, to remember, to celebrate. And if you're not, if you're a guest or you don't know or you're kind of unsure, there's no pressure. We'd ask you to abstain because this is just bread and juice for you. It's just, it's just a ritual. It's not a ritual for us. For those who have entered into his rest. It's, it's the symbols that remind us of what Jesus has done. And so instead of partaking, we'd invite you to just pray and ask God to show you and open your eyes so that you could experience that rest as well. But the men and women are gonna hand out the elements. And so uh, the team is gonna just lead us in a song. Just listen to the words, pray the words. If there's unconfessed sin that you're kind of been dealing with or just in a place of lack of rest, confess that now. And then I'm gonna come back up in just a few moments and, uh, and lead us as we partake together. So let me pray, uh, and then we'll do that. Father, thank you for the reminder that there is rest for us only in you, not in people, not in relationships, not in money, not in fame, not in power, but only in you. I pray that we would be a people who enjoy that rest, who find that rest, who celebrate that rest. It's in Christ's name I pray.